0: Well, as I mentioned that I've entitled this morning's study, The Scenes in Heaven Continue. And uh, they began in our study last week as uh, Pastor Austin took us through verse uh, 1 and 2 predominantly of chapter 4. And in that first scene, with a bit of review this morning, we saw that It is the Father, the throne, and the host of heaven around him. You recall that John had just written under the direction of the Holy Spirit and Jesus dictating to him seven letters to seven churches. You recall because of our study that John is exiled on an island called Patmos. You may recall from our studies previously that the island of Patmos was a prison island. We would uh, compare it to Alcatraz in today's uh, history, and that there was no escaping Patmos, and predominantly prisoners were placed there to do hard labor to quarry out marble for uh, the statues and gods of Rome. And John himself would have uh, been subject to that, although he was given a place to write as well. There can be no greater stark contrast than a dull, uh, inviteless, less island filled with the, um, you know, atmosphere of being a prisoner. And then writing to these seven churches that John had overseen, he he knew of them, he cared for them, and he knew that that in obedience to Jesus speaking to him to write these letters, that that someday these letters would go out. He didn't know how they would go out, but then to immediately uh, after he puts the last, you know dot of ink on the the papyrus scroll and sets the quill down, immediately he hears this voice that says to him, and it sounds like a, a trumpet says, come up here. And I will show you things that must take place after This, after what? We explained it last week, the outline of Revelation. After the age of the church, I'm going to show you now what will happen once the church has also come up here. That word come up, you know, one day Jesus is going to whisper to the church, come up. Amen. Amen. And we're waiting for that day. We're living for that day. We're excited about that day. And so John immediately is, is whisked up and he was whisked up in a heavenly vision and he says, immediately I was in the spirit. And you know, to pause there for just a moment, a, a brief reminder is that it takes being in the spirit to see and understand and know the things of heaven. It takes uh, being called up into the Spirit's realm to hear the voice of God, to know what God is saying. And so he invites you and I this morning to come into the spiritual realm. Forget the fact that you're in a comfortable chair in a comfortable building in the rural city of Valley Springs. In the Spirit, come. As we endeavor to join... uh, What's happening in heaven? So we, we saw last week that uh, the first thing he sees is one sitting on the throne. God on the throne. And the application for us last week was as we in the world look out our window and see chaos and war and trouble and politic and all of the confusing things, you know, let's not forget to look out the door that's opened for us into heaven. That God is on the throne. He hasn't abdicated the throne and he knows exactly what's going on and in his control of what's going on. We saw also last week that, that John saw the stones of Jasper and Sardis. And interestingly enough uh, Jasper, uh, though it is Uh, brown in revelation uh, 21 it is a clear stone and it's a bit like another stone carnelian which is uh, like ruby as well and those two stones carnelian and jasper were the first and last stones in the ephod that the high priest would wear So these stones have significance. And we saw last week that he also saw 24 elders and and that we we can't say for certain who these 24 elders are. There are those that say they represent the church. There are those that say they represent the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. Those that say they represent the church look to a a variety of uh, verses in the text. Uh, Over in chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, that they sang a new song, uh, that he has redeemed us. Over in chapter 5, the song they sing, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, uh, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Well, there's only one entity that is redeemed to God by the blood of the one who is worthy. And that's the entire church, not just 24 elders. And in the original text, the word us is not there. So there's argument about that. The the crowns that they have, they they are throwing them down uh, at the Father. But they're also worshiping uh, the one who is worthy in chapter 5. Uh, Those that think it represents the church, they cite in verse 4 that these 24 elders wore white robes. Well, they're not the only one that wear white robes. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, the angels also wear white robes. So uh, there's there's no clear uh, definition of who these 24 elders are. And the crown that they wear, you know, sometimes those that espouse it to be the church... Say that well, these are those well deserved crowns that every believer is going to throw down at the feet of uh, Jesus, right? But the word is Stephonos, it's a it refers to a victor's crown, and uh, that same word is used of the Antichrist in chapter 6, verse 2, and of the locusts that come in verse 9. So We don't know for certainty who they are. We know they are heavenly beings with authority. We saw that uh, John saw the seven lamps referencing the entire or the complete spirit of God. The number seven represents completion. Uh, Isaiah 11.2 tells us about the sevenfold complete spirit of God. Uh, The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of understanding, counsel, might, and the fear of the Lord. And so we saw those things last week. John saw also these four living creatures, which, interestingly enough, really have four options. The four options of the four living creatures are that They represent either the attributes of God, uh, the four Gospels themselves, the 12 tribes of Israel, and I'll explain, or that they are angelic beings uh, there to worship and to serve God. Now, uh, these four living creatures that we read about in verse 8... the way that they could represent the attributes of God, uh, you saw in verse 7 that they are uh, like a lion, like a calf, like a face of a man, and like a flying eagle in verse 7. So those are the four uh, pictures. And uh, the lion would equate to, in the attribute of God, the majesty of God. The calf or the ox would equate to the servanthood of God as he came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. Uh, The man, of course, uh, uh, there's only one um, uh, mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, represents the Father's intellect. And, of course, the flying eagle would refer to his sovereignty and his supremacy. But if we were to try and apply these four faces to the... For Gospels, uh, they do line up to some degree. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew speaks of the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Gospel of Mark paints the picture of Jesus as a servant, the ox. The Gospel of Luke paints the picture of Jesus as a man, the man of God, son of God. And, of course, the Gospel of John speaks of the sovereignty of Jesus as God himself. Interestingly enough, though, that these four uh, living creatures their four faces could possibly represent the 12 tribes of Israel, how that would have to happen, you'd have to go back to uh, Exodus, way back to Exodus chapter, or not Exodus, but Numbers. Numbers 2 uh, tells us how the, the children of Israel, when they were Uh, launched into the promised land and on their way to settling in Israel, they had the tabernacle. And the tabernacle would be in the center, but they would line up and camp around the tabernacle with the tabernacle in the center, referencing the fact that God and the worship of God was to be at the center of their lives as a national people. And what's interesting is that all the way on the east side of the camp was the standard of the lion. Uh, The tribe of Judah was its leader. Issachar and Zebulun were there. And then if you went down south, it was Reuben, and his flag or his standard was an ox or a calf. Simeon and Gad were there with Reuben. On the north was Ephraim, and uh, his standard was that of of a man, and with Ephraim was Manasseh and Benjamin, and then in the north would be uh, Dan. And Dan's flag or his standard was that of an eagle, and with Dan was Asher and Naphtali. So it's possible, but most of us agree that these four living creatures have been seen before in Scripture, as uh, Pastor Austin mentioned last week, Isaiah chapter 6, there's cherubim and seraphim, uh, Ezekiel 10, and that these four living creatures are predominantly angelic beings that are there in the heavenly host and their purpose there, their purpose there is to worship God the Father and to serve God the Father in that worship. Scene one. Scene two takes us to the worship service that's happening in heaven. And, oh my goodness, as we come to a picture of what's happening in heaven, even at this very moment, even at this very moment, as you and I are looking at at this inerrant, authoritative, and inspired text of God. We see that these creatures do not rest day or night. So that means they don't rest day or night. That means it's going on right now, and it's going to keep going on, it's going to keep going on, it's going to keep going on. And And what are they... What are they doing? They're saying, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, that in itself is, is just a beautiful, uh, you could almost hear the echo of it if you listen closely, if your heart and your ear and your spiritual man is, is inclined to, what, how is worship going on in heaven right now? That's what's happening right now? But you and I need to wrap ourselves around not only what they're saying, but what's taking place in what they're saying. What's taking place in what they're saying is given to us in the very next verse. In verse 9, it says, notice with me, It says that whenever the living creatures give, notice, glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. What they're doing in those words, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, is that they're giving glory and honor and thanksgiving to God the Father. They're giving glory and honor and thanksgiving to God the Father. And we we read that this is going on day and night. They don't rest. Well, the application for that, friend, is, is very clear. Is that if I don't find a way to engage in the worship of God the Father and God the Son by the Spirit of God while here on earth, I'm going to fill out a place when I'm catapulted to heaven. Why not purpose in my heart now as a, as a born-again believer in Christ Jesus the Lord that any time the striking of the worship begins that I I'm going to enter in because it's going on in heaven because that kind of attitude has an effect on your life and mine if if we have purpose that I am always going to endeavor to be thankful and to give thanks and when there's a worship segment or worship time going on when the body gathers when there's a worship time at home when there's a worship time in a small group I'm going to join in and it is true that in our culture today and I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention this, it is true that in our culture today um, that we have such a wide breadth of, of age and you know Uh, personal preferences in what uh, singing and worshiping God through song looks like. I mean, after all, I'm 70, and I can remember a time when the the only phone you had was hanging on the wall, and I can remember black and white TV, and I can remember going through, I mean, look, the history that some of us have been through and the technology lot technological changes and, and vehicles and homes and and culture and politic and everything. So so I get it, I get it that, you know, there's going to be this kind of like for this group and that kind of like for that group and this kind of like for that group. And and last night in our retreat, I mean, the band that was doing the, the last segment worship service for the evening. I I didn't know the songs. The drummer seemed loud. The band was going full on. And for me, I just had to kind of like close my eyes and say, I, I worship you, Lord. I worship you. And I know I was coming to this text. You know, it's like, okay, it's worshiping in heaven. They're worshiping here. And I'm having a hard time. Lord, change me, you know do something in my heart and I I would venture to say that that's I'm not the only one that may go through something like that and you know God bless them they were engaged in you know three quarters of the guys around me were like they were singing it out they knew him I didn't know them. they know him I don't know them. but previously the morning before uh, yesterday morning it was a different scenario it was one rhythm guitarist and he just did these soft songs and he moved from song to song to song to song all that we knew. And I was like, okay, let's do him again, you know, kind of thing. And and unfortunately that kind of personal preference enters into whether or not I want to walk through those doors and getting involved in what's happening at Calvary Chapel Valley Springs in the first 20 minutes and my comment to us this morning is ask God to move you in a direction that no matter what the songs are or the way we're singing them or doing them it's worship unto God because it's a time of the preparation of the heart And it's going on in heaven. And Lord knows we don't want to be out of place up there. So let's learn to do it here. End of comment. They're giving glory and honor and thanks to God. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And God's peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Worship is waiting on the Lord. Worship is giving thanks to God. Worship is giving honor and glory to God, and we can all do that. Whatever you do, Colossians 3.17, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through Him, so this worship service is, has begun and it's going on. And John's invited into the the front door of it, and he has seen the host, and he's hearing the declaration, and they're saying, "Holy, holy, holy." One text that we have uh, declares that the the word holy is being say, said nine times, actually. And what is holiness? What do they mean, holy? Well, we've talked about that before. It means moral purity, perfect in a moral sense and blameless. Perfect in a moral sense and blameless. Listen, the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians in his first letter... 1 Peter 1.16 the Lord said to his children be holy for I am holy. Be perfect in more, a moral sense and be blameless in a moral sense. Love. there is not room in the Christian life for just like you know laxadaisically walking through thinking God doesn't care about whether or not there's a pursuit of holiness in our lives. He does care. Webster, in his dictionary, and I quote, he says, We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God, And his life is regulated by the divine precepts. Hence, holy is used nearly synonymous with godly good. And so we have this effect pictured for us in the scriptures here. What's going on is they're declaring who God is what he is, and he has declared to us what he desires of us. You are holy, Lord. You are almighty. And you not only were, but you are, and you're coming again. The worship service in heaven and as this worship service is going on, not only is what, what the Lord God Almighty is is declared, but interestingly enough, the Lord God Almighty's purpose for mankind is declared. As you read in verse 11, their lyric goes on and says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. In other words, I'm ascribing worth to you, God. Do you ascribe worth to God every day you wake up in the morning? Do you ascribe worth to God? What do you ascribe worth to in your daily life? I have things that I ascribe worth to. There's worth in that guitar. That's, That's a thing. Greater things I ascribe worth to my relationship with my wife, my family. I ascribe worth to the fact that God saved me from dying a couple of years ago and gave me breath again and put four veins in in my chest and here I am. What do you ascribe worth to? Do you ascribe worth to uh, something or someone? But more greatly, do you ascribe worth to God every day? Because that kind of lifestyle... Beloved, has an effect on us. It will change how we go through the day. It will change how we go through the week. It will change how we go through life. God, I ascribe worth to you. And as they're declaring and dis- ascribing worth to God, you are worthy, O Lord, you to receive glory and honor and power. Notice The second half of verse 11, so powerful. He says, for you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. For you've created it all, God. The very ground I'm standing on, the things that are in my life right now, are a direct uh, extension of the fact that you are the creator, God. You've created all things, and by your will they exist. Now, I want to stop us there for a moment because... uh, I would ask you to compare my preferred uh, translation of this verse is in the King James Version of the Bible. We read New King James here for good reason, but once in a while there's there's a translation that that seems more accurate, and this is one of those examples for in the King James Version of the Bible, up on the screen. That last line says, for for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's different than by your will they exist and were created. For thy pleasure. And I submit to you that that is a more accurate uh, translation of the text because what it declares is that All things have been created by God and for God and for his pleasure. Why is that important? You know where I'm going with this. That means that you were created to bring God pleasure. You and I were created to bring God pleasure. You are not an accident. I am not an accident. Your existence in this life is not... Uh, haphazard. There is a reason you breathe and are alive. And the one reason, one reason that you are alive today is to bring God pleasure. And you know what? There's a problem. The question becomes if or since he is holy, 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 perfect in moral sense and without uh, blemish. I am sinful man. He is holy. I am sin. And yet, I'm created to bring him pleasure. The question becomes, how can sin rot mankind? Bring a holy God pleasure. Answer? In Christ. Only in Christ. Someone once wrote, no man can bring God the Father pleasure, the pleasure that he desires from their life, until, listen, he or she engages and submits to the very purpose for which they've been created. Can I restate that? No man, woman, or young person, or anyone can bring God the Father pleasure, the pleasure that he desires from their life, until he or she engages in and submits to the very purposes for which they've been created. In other words, in Christ. And we... We find that the scriptures dictate that to us. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24, But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Yes, I'm separated from God by my sin. But in Christ, I bring God the pleasure he desires. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life, what? In Christ Jesus our Lord. The penalty of the consequence of being born into sin would keep me separated from this God who has created you and I to bring him pleasure. But God also in his uh, abundant love, in his supreme omnipotence not only has created us to bring him pleasure and saw that we can't bring him pleasure, has created the way in which we can bring him pleasure by coming to faith in Christ his Son and asking for the forgiveness of our sin and the redemption that is found in his blood. Can you say amen? Amen. Okay. So the way is clear. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. not to be redundant, but to bring God pleasure, created for that pleasure. The only way humanity can is through Christ, in Christ. Does that mean that God doesn't, God the Father doesn't take pleasure when there is um, good things that happen in mankind when there is mercy, when there is kindness, when there is um, temperance and meekness, things that would reflect a a moral uh, blamelessness certainly would bring a smile to God the Father's face, but to bring him pleasure is to enter into that relationship with Christ. If you have not done that yet, the invitation is for you this morning. So we see this worship service in heaven. We see the purpose of mankind declared. And now what we see is, is as, as John has been you know, brought into this phenomenal worship service, he's there and he's hearing the declarations. He's hearing the worship of, of God the Father. And we read in verse 1 of chapter 5, that he saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that would be God the Father, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong, God bless you, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And this strong angel, some have said that it's Gabriel. We don't know for sure, but John is is seeing this vision. And no one in heaven, we read in verse 3, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And we see in verse 4 that John says, so I wept much because no one was worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. Can you imagine in the midst of that glorious worship service, here's John weeping. And I, I I agree that at times we can be we can touch the border of heaven in our worship of God. And sometimes be so captivated by who the Lord is and then so reminded of the fallen condition of the world around us and our need for, for intervention, God's intervention that perhaps we weep we weep for a loved one who's lost. We weep for a, an illness that's going on. We weep because of the fallen nature of mankind. And we, we need someone worthy to intervene into that situation. The question has often been raised, what is this scroll? What is this uh, scroll that John sees? And... <clears throat> A typical scroll in that period of time, uh, they are written horizontally, not vertically. So as the scroll is unrolled, more of what's being written is able to be read and seen. Uh, Some commentators assess that the book of Revelation would have been a, a scroll some 15 feet long. And that in this scroll, we saw that it was written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Uh, Traditional scrolls were written only on one side. This was written on the inside and on the back. And then these seven seals. So, you know, what is this scroll? Several things have been suggested. Um, Some suggest that the scroll is the the Old Testament and the New Testament there in heaven. Uh, but what's incorrect about that is that if it's the Old Testament, it looks backwards. Uh, this scroll looks forward. Um, some have suggested that it is the, the claim of divorce of God to the nation of Israel. But there's little evidence uh, to support that and the main question who is worthy to, to loose the seals to unroll it there have been that suggested that it's it's God's sentence uh, against the enemies of the church that within the scroll is this he, he's, he's, he's articulated how he is going to deal with the enemies of the church uh, but again That just doesn't, uh, it could be true, but more importantly, who's worthy to open it then? Some have even suggested that it's the text of Revelation, but this is unlikely. There was one suggestion that's very, very attractive, is that this uh, scroll was the title deed to the earth. Uh, In Jeremiah 32, you can read how a a portion of land was sold and that there was a a title deed that needed to be uh, exchanged hands and signed and that this scroll is the title deed to the earth that that it was uh, surrendered at the fall of man, that Satan is you know, going to and fro the earth as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But that, that doesn't really stand scripturally either because Psalm 24.1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And that he has never, you know, released the fact that he created this earth, so that it is still his the best solution really is that this scroll could very well be um, God's final settlement of the affairs of the universe. And the why the reason we say that is because Roman law, when a will, a will and testament was to be given, as in um, uh, there were two individuals that, had that uh, done, the will had to be sealed with seven seals. And so if we were to look at this as, as perhaps God's uh, will and testament of the affairs of the universe, the, the main question still is, who's worthy to open it? And John is weeping because there's no one in heaven or on the earth, or under the earth. And just as his hope is left in that place, he sees that one of the elders, verse 5, said to me, Do not weep, but behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked... And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, the complete spirit of God, sent out into all the earth. The scars on this individual that is seen, this lion of the tribe of Judah, this one who appears to be a lamb, this root of David is none other than Christ himself. And evidently, listen, the scars in heaven at this moment are still visible and fresh. And however long it had been since the actual crucifixion of Christ, the scars of him in heaven are still fresh. It's 2,000 years later this morning, beloved, and God the Father still sees those scars as fresh. How we should never ever get tired of remembering the fact that he was slain for us. That those scars are in heaven. And he has taken upon him the iniquity of us all. And by his stripes we are healed. And by his blood we are cleansed. Oh, such a beautiful picture that John sees and is given. And Christ steps out of the midst of the throne and takes the scroll. And he takes it out of the hand of the one who sat on the throne, of God the Father. And as we go on through this dictated account of the affairs of what's going to happen to the universe, Christ is going to open those seals and loose those seals one by one. And I think the application for us this morning as we close is that his work at Calvary should always be fresh in my heart today. Never should I tire of the fact that he's redeemed me, he's purchased me, he's saved me, he loves me, he's redeemed you, he's purchased you, he's saved you, he loves you. What more could we ask for in this life? Oh, Sure, there are things that can trouble us. But is there not much more to give him glory, honor, and thanks for every day? And that's my prayer for us, for me, and for all of us, that that's what we would walk in. Will you join me as we pray? Please, we come? Heavenly Father, we we need to be in the Spirit, to see the vision of heaven and to hear the clarion call of worship. It's not an earthly reality until we make it one here. And what a joy it is, Lord, in the context of being human beings, and yet redeemed human beings living on this planet that is so filled with trouble, so filled with danger, confusion, harm, death, illness, sickness, sin, and yet, Lord, We can rise above it instead of just focused on the window of what's going on, peering through the door of heaven and knowing that there's a worship service going on. And if we're going to worship you and ascribe to you worth and glory and honor and giving of thanks, that we can do that every day, Lord. We can do that any moment. Because the scars are still fresh and you remind us that you love us in those scars imperfect as we are <laughs> oh the love of God we're so thankful that you are holy and you remain holy Lord and you call us to live holy lives, and so today we, in a fresh way, commit ourselves to you and ask you by the power of your Spirit receive our worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen.